Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is supported in part by Australian Ethical. Good evening, Lewis. Hello, Dan. How are you? Lewis, I'm at the start of the show. I'm, I'm energised because I want to tell the people who are listening in Adelaide and Melbourne just one thing, and that is to please, mm-hmm. please, for the sake of breaking even, buy a ticket to the show. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> if you happen to know the Port Adelaide Football Club, uh, get them all along. Uh, if you know the uh, Adelaide Strikers, Sixers, whoever the, the this cricket is, team is, this is good. get them along. This is good. This is good local content. If you know anyone yep. whose family ends in polites, get them along. <laughs> oh, my family are from Adelaide originally. My my mum and dad met at Adelaide University. So if you uh, oh, well, if you're at Adelaide University, um, you know, and, and you're looking for love, maybe one day along. you too could have a little Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> or a tall Lewis, depending on you know That's how your Lewis's go. We have <laughs> yeah. got a great show in Adelaide. Um, we've got uh, Gabby Bolt, Alice Fraser. We've also got Andrew Hansen from The Chaser. And we've also got, for some reason, the South Australian Attorney General is joining us in Adelaide, which is amazing. We're going to be talking to him about South Australia's voice, which is great. Melbourne is selling a lot slower than we anticipated, despite having... Grace Tame on the show, mm. which killed last year. You guys have got to mm. get tickets. You guys have got to go right now to melbournecomedyfestival.com.au and buy a ticket. It's not even the website. It's probably why we aren't selling many tickets. But you should, you should go and buy a ticket because it's, so, it's such a huge show uh, and it's going to be really great. Surprisingly, Lewis, our mm. Brisbane show uh, is doing really well for sales. We've already sold like right. 120. So we're like, we're, we're killing it. The show's not even on for like another, another few weeks. Uh, it's at the World Science Festival and they sent me uh, my invite the other day and I was flicking through some of the other events that are on and we stick out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, these people are very smart <laughs> and they've done a lot of research. 
We have done, we've got a really smart person on stage with us. His name is Dan Illich. Uh, no, his, <laughs> her name is Jessie Christensen. She's a doctor. She runs the Exoplanet Library for NASA and she works with the JWST team, the James Webb Space Telescope team. So um, we're going to be grilling her about aliens. It's very exciting. So that is happening in Brisbane at the end of March. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal Land in the Eora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair Dickum, and Section 40. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, with New South Wales set to vote next Saturday, polling suggests the other guy is maintaining a strong lead, whatever his name is. And the creator of the comic strip, Dilbert, goes on a racist tirade, getting him dropped from hundreds of newspapers but a job offer at The Australian. And after Rupert Murdoch admits that Fox News was lying to its audience, Donald Trump has accused the media mogul of throwing his anchors under the table instead of in the sea where they obviously belong. It's the 3rd of March, 2023, and with more lies than Fox News. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Welcome to Irrational Fear. I'm your host, former OnlyFans nurse Dan Illich. This is the podcast that puts a shot of vodka in your news. Irrational Fear. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. They're a former corporate ladder climbing shill, but now they are a children's party clown performing her show Slops at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's Jane Bell. Welcome, Jane. Hello. Hello. If anyone wants to book a clown, please reach out. It's a hard life. (laughs) On this side of the ladder now? Do you just do corporate ladder comedy? Do you, do you turn up to kids' parties and say, hey, let's talk about some EBITDA? Uh, is, is, is that what happens? Oh, I feel like I was more doing clown comedy in the workplace and now I've found my <laughs> target audience. So it's, it's honestly for the best on both sides. <laughs> and she has haunted the writing rooms at Hard Quiz and has been published in McSweeney. She also sells a bathing suit covered in little cute hams on her website before her show, Tropical Holiday at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's Elise Phillips. Welcome, Elise. Hello. Thank you for having me. These bathing suits on your website, do they sell well? Uh, they look amazing. Little hams on, on a bathing suit. It sells better on than literally any other piece of merch I've ever made in my life. <laughs> <laughs> really? People That's love am- a I mean, it, it looks amazing. It looks, it looks incredible. It looks, uh, this you. might sound weird, but it looks mm. delicious. Mm. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Men's version as well. Do you do like a speedo? Absolutely. We've got a swim trunk. Mm. Haven't got to a speedo yet. I think I think a budgie spunkler covered in ham would be a good option, though. Mm. I think I should <laughs> get onto it. I'm ready. Uh, put me on the waiting list. All right. Speaking of hams, it's Lewis Hobber. Hey, <laughs> hello. Uh, a delight to be with you. Thrilled. I don't know how long it's been since our last one. Uh, it might be a week. It might be a year. Four, three weeks? I think, I think two weeks, yeah. yeah two weeks, yeah. How, yeah. how in fact, Dan, I, I know we don't do a lot of personal business, but you were um, in South Africa. Did you have a nice time? I had a great time. I hung up with um, the my Bertha Fellows from the Bertha Foundation who kind of got this podcast back on its feet for a couple mm-hmm. of years. So it was a really amazing and inspiring time seeing, you know, what everybody has been up to. So, yeah, I went to Cape Town. It's really good. Good place there. I like it. How are we looking for uh, this season? 
financially? Uh, we, did they call you all over the way over there to fire you, or no, what's up? No, 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 no. Australian Ethical is looking after us, and if you are, if you're on the Patreon, you don't hear the ads. But if you are on our regular feed, of course, you'll know that Australian Ethical is looking after us. So we're mm. being looked after this year from them. But you know, maybe, maybe there could be some special birth of money later on down the line. I pitched them an idea of doing a show from the First Nations group who are sitting on Adani's land. Uh, I thought it'd be funny to uh, to take a, a bunch of our friends, Lewis, like uh, Dane Simpson and Craig Quartermain and Steph Tisdall and do a comedy show at the Defenders' land on, on the Adani land. I thought that would be really fun. So they seem to be interested in that and they may even pay for it. So we'll see. <laughs> and Adani so, can't afford to remove us right now, so now's the right I time. <laughs> like, I, like I had the realisation while I was there, we no longer live in electorates. We live in billionaires' bank books. So you have to pick the billionaires you like. Uh, we are, uh, we're, I'm, I'm a big fan of this Bertha guy, uh, you know, and some people are big fans of Clive Palmer. So you got to pick your, pick your <laughs> you know, you got to pick your billionaire. That's it's, what the new, it's the new AFL. Are you thinking of reaching out to other South African billionaires? Have you got Musk, <laughs> Musk as a potential hookup? Or are, you, are you married to one? Are you keeping it to one South African billionaire? Every good joke someone does on the podcast is rewarded with one Musk diamond. <laughs> Speaking of sponsors, here is a message from this week's sponsor. Jim Chalmers says if you've got more than $3 million in super, you'll probably be okay with paying a normal amount of tax. But tell that to the renters in your fifth investment property. Jim Chalmers wants to steal money from the super rich to give it to the slightly less super rich. Is this the Australia we want? So these are confronting numbers. Jim Chalmers doesn't want you to enjoy Bollinger on your 66th birthday. He's forcing you to drink Dom Perrin Yuck instead. It's going to be a difficult time ahead. Don't let Labor steal your third first-class trip on the Queen Mary 2 this year away from you. It will get tougher before it starts to ease. Authorised by Rich for a sane conversation about Super Australia. Thank you, Rich Seawords, for a sane conversation about Super. I really appreciate your... Uh, support this week. This week's first fear. Yes, it is bad news. If you're a billionaire, you may have to pay slightly more tax on your super if it's above $3 million. The Treasurer Jim Sharma said that the new measure will only affect 80,000 people. Most of those people probably won't care or don't even notice that they're actually paying a little bit more tax. ATO statistics are absolutely zany for this. I don't know if you've seen this. Apparently there are 27 people with more than $100 million in super. There is one person there is one person with $544 million in superannuation. Oh, my God. The question must be asked, where will these people find the money to pay slightly more tax? Where? Where? Terrific. What kind of person has this? Has more than $3 million in their super, Elise? I should fess up the, the $544 million one. That's, that's me. I finally consolidated all 544 million <laughs> of my super accounts. Uh, at least I'm just, looking at the up, Patreon subscri- yeah. subscription. I don't see your name anywhere in the Patreon subscription. I tried to, <laughs> I tried to get on top of my admin and it's just, it's backfired horrifically. It's, I oh, imagine you'd love to support the Patreon, but with this new tax, I mean, how, how are you going to uh, support it, please? I, it's impossible. It's impossible. Mm. Mm. I'm going to be living on beans for the rest of the year, Dan. I can't believe anyone in, any journalist any um, bounty hunter, any yeah, private investigator, 
is doing anything else with their time right now other than finding that person. Like that's the only thing. (laughs) All newspapers should be on that 24-7. I would like to pitch a concept specifically to the $540 million person. I assume they Mm -hmm. listen to this podcast. Mm. It's a new holiday I've thought of called Super Claws. Basically, (laughs) this super, super fund owner acts as the nation's Santa Claus. He reveals himself and then one day a year we can all go to them and say what we want for, for in our superannuation, in our self-managed super funds. He grants those wishes and he gets mm-hmm. to live this life as beyond even human, just this legend, and then we all move yes. on. It's a good news story. No one's angry at him for his super balance. It's just, it's... A new holiday. Best part is you can t- turn the tables on your parents and you can tell them that that person doesn't exist. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing. All these boomers with so much money in the bank account, like what are they going to do in retirement? Like the, the biggest iPad is only $1,900. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could buy maybe like three or four caravans and like strap them on top of each other and get like a triple-decker, quadruple-decker situation going on. That could be fun. Uh, Pete Lawler on the chat has said it's Gina Reinhardt. Well, here's the thing. Gina Reinhardt actually came out to news.com.au and her her representative said, no, it's not Gina Reinhardt because Gina Reinhardt's (laughs) not stupid enough to lock up $544 million until she (laughs) retires. This is a tiny Venn diagram of people who haven't discovered offshore bank accounts (laughs) but, like, want to keep their money in the Australian economy. So it's some kind of, like, Aussie battler but at the peak of their career. You know what they say, Jane, about people who've got big nest eggs, mm-hmm. they've got complex shell companies. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, the only person I can think of who is, like, rich, old and would be so afraid of foreigners that he wouldn't trust his money in an offshore bank is Dick Smith. Like, I reckon that mm. could be a shout. <laughs> we well, should out. get him on the show. He's a friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> is he? Well, it's a, no, well I've, got him, I've got his number in my... In my book, so then, if, if there's a human being, if there's an Australian whose number you don't have, they don't exist. That's true. <laughs> I reckon if you scroll you through your phone, you would eventually find that person with half a billion dollars in super. Like they're in oh, there. I, I should send everyone a text right away. <laughs> Angus Taylor said uh, it's an attack on Middle Australia. Middle <laughs> Australia. <laughs> <laughs> who could just give $3 million until they're 66 just sitting there. They're, they're not going to miss it. That three million, they're not going to miss that $3 million of stuff. <laughs> well, oh, I did. God, I, so I tried to think what I would do with $3 million and I Googled what can you buy with $3 million and the first article I got was from Finance Samurai or someone, a blog like that, and it, all it said was $3 million is the new $1 million. and I felt so poor. I've never felt <laughs> oh, so mate. poor. Like aspirationally, I'm Gosh. not even picturing the right number anymore. Yeah, I don't have the, oh. the old $1 million yet. That's moving too fast. Do you know that, that scene from Succession where, where Greg gets offered like $10 million and they all talk about how sad it is to have $10 million because it's like <laughs> yes. you have to keep working? <laughs> <laughs> It's like yeah, it's the worst the, kind the, of millionaire. Yeah. yeah it's actually the, embarrassing to admit you've got over $3 million on your in your super account, I think. What an yeah. embarrassingly small amount of money. If you're not the 500 mil guy, yeah. then who are you? That's cringe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The phrase, I'm a millionaire, has really... Ooh. 
it's really jumped the shark, hasn't it? As with, as with the <laughs> phrase, jump the shark. I did see an article because I, I think when it came out, like obviously the, the message got out pretty quickly that it was going to affect such a like, small amount of the country that really no one apart from Angus Taylor, perplexingly, it's probably his brother um, who had <laughs> a problem with it, but he's probably got half a billion gigalitres of water in super. <laughs> this is a rational fear. Angus Taylor. The situation we had was some people were contributing millions of dollars into super, and it's totally inappropriate. What a goose. You are listening to a very rational fear. This week's second fear, Gen Z thinks buttons are violence. According to The Guardian, Gen Z are having trouble with physical office appliances like uh, finding files, folders, printers, copiers, fax machines, binders. Basically anything with buttons is extremely difficult to work with. Jane, what's going on here? Do we need like a button-pushing boot camp for Gen Z before they're allowed to apply for actual jobs? Oh, my God. I, I, I'm a millennial, I will say. I'm 32, but I, I just feel so bad for Gen Z because we've we're destroying the planet. We've tanked the economy. They'll never buy a home. And now we still expect them to use like the Canon 1996 printer in the communal <laughs> office space. And we're getting upset at them for not knowing how to do that. Like the poor little guys just like they shouldn't have to worry about that. And oh, they just want to be left alone on TikTok with the apps that just feed all their information straight to their brain and we're making them interact in, like, the saddest places in the world, which are, like, I don't know, offices set up in the 80s and 90s and no wonder they don't want to do it. It's like that Apple TV show, Severance. Every office is like that to them. Um, there's a great <laughs> a quote, a quote in this article from the guy who runs workshops on intergenerational differences. He says... I joke in my sessions that my Gen Z intern didn't know how to mail a letter. He said, they asked me where the sticker went. And I said, do you mean stamp? <laughs> <laughs> I think stickers are all right. That's fine. Well, I work in a, uh, a Triple J. There's a millennial and Gen Z exclusive atmosphere. And, like, I, I'm the second, I think I'm the third, probably, I'm in the top five oldest people that have ever worked there. And um, <laughs> people ask me about, like, 2015 and I'm like, man, it was crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, you, you would say, man, it was cray-cray. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then uh, they want to leave but they can't find the elevator button so they have to listen to me talk about 2015. <laughs> I think there's, you know, you do read a lot of articles where every time there's, like, a boomer Gen Z divide, the old people are always like, you don't know how hard it is. When you, when you get old, no one wants to hire you. And I think this is a great opportunity. Like, I think we used to have mm. elevator operators. And I think now, if you turn 60, we give you the gold watch, and then you just become a guy who pushes the button on a photocopier. It keeps you employed, it gives you something to do, it gets Gerald out of the house, and it keeps Gen Zs, you know, are able to use photocopiers. Everyone wins. These are well, valuable <laughs> skills in demand. I've, yeah. I've never worked anywhere as trendy as Triple J. Like we, I've worked places that uh, Jane, have, can like, I just say, I, lo I love the way you said Triple J, like, yeah. like with as much venom as possible. Oh. <laughs> you also said trendy, which was incredible. <laughs> Look, I've, I've aged out of the hottest 100 and I get to have feelings about that now. That's something I'm glad <laughs> Yeah, such a millennial thing to say. <laughs> we have blocked your number and everyone like you. <laughs> I'll see you on Double J in 10 years' time. <laughs> 
Good. Good. The system is working. <laughs> Elise, what about you? What, what What's your thoughts on this? I mean, this? I just, I think we're being a bit too hard on these kids not knowing how to use this stuff. Like, I am an elder millennial and I don't know how to use stuff that was used to do business in the generation before me. I don't know how to use a quill or abacus or like cocaine. <laughs> I, I, I'm not across that stuff and that's fine. This is a rational fear. Annabelle is a typical teenager and these days that often means living with anxiety. Why is it so hard to turn on? There's no button. A rational fear. This week's third fear, time on the moon. We not only cover the most pressing topics on Earth in this show, but from time to time we cover moon-related disputes. The moon is set to get its own time zone. That's right, it's moon time. People joke about flying to Adelaide and, hey, you've got to turn your clock back 30 years, but on the moon, despite looking so much like Adelaide, no-one knows how far to wind back their clocks. Elise, what is moon time? The European Space Agency has come out and said that they think that the moon needs a time zone. I'm all for it, you know. I would love to get up onto the moon, be playing some, you know, Dance Dance Revolution, um, the Jurassic Park game where you're in a, a Jeep, the the claw machine time zone. No, that's okay. Um, oh, we got there. I got, got there. there. It took me so there. long, but I got there. <laughs> no, they're, uh, they're looking to have, like, an, an official time zone for the moon so that, you know, as it's getting busier and you've got commercial organisations flying up there, that sort of a thing, for everyone to be sort of yeah. on the same track so you don't have rockets going up there and, like, doing the, oh, who's, do I go, do you go? It's all clear. Everyone knows <laughs> exactly where they're going and it's a lot safer and happier for everyone. A whole series of problems with doing it because, like, yeah. gravity is an issue, so clocks go faster on the moon and, like, depending on where abouts on the moon it is so your clocks are running all sorts of different times all over the shop it sounds like an absolute nightmare to figure out surely yeah. the moon is going to be the right place for a um sundial maybe surely. that's how they could do it <laughs> yeah you know if gravity is go old school like yes, let's let's basics. find a you know a baby boomer who doesn't and understand technology and yes. can explain a sundial to yes. the younger generation. Beautiful. Uh, or, Put or more maybe analog an clocks on the moon. <laughs> I think actually, I'll tell you what, My if I was in the European Space Agency, I'd be like, guys, I know you guys always tell me I don't belong here because I'm not a scientist and I don't understand anything, but I've got an idea. I think clocks should be banned. I think time should be banned on the moon. I think it should be a no time yes. zone. I think it yes. should be like a chill zone where on the way you have to put your watches or your phones in a little bag, like you're going to see Dave Chappelle in case he says something transphobic, yeah. and you have to put it in a rocket and you have to leave it in the rocket and then the moon can be a place where we don't worry about time. We can yes. leave our troubles on Earth. Thank you. What time do we leave to go back to Earth? Whenever you want, man. It's okay. the moon. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a commune. It's a hippie yes. commune. It's a commune. It's a commune. Well done, Lewis. He got there. <laughs> Took oh, me five minutes of padding, but oh. I found a joke. Oh, that was very good. <laughs> yes, moon days are about 29.5 Earth days long. That is a long day, a whole month on the moon. Uh, and clocks work at different speeds. Why do clocks I want to know why clocks work at different speeds on the surface and in orbit. That is so strange. It's so, it's, yeah. It's all I gravity, think baby. Just physically, yeah, the pull of gravity on the 
the hands of the clock. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, it's a I great mean, opportunity for like a <laughs> for a brand to come in and start their own, you know, branded time. Like you could have like blue moon beer time. That would be good. Yes. Or, or Mars like even on Mars, you know, you could have Mars time. Yeah. Mars bar time. Well, that would be good. They tried to they tried to do this with Antarctica, with like how Antarctica's like this shared continent. Oh, yeah. Everyone's mm. got a little section of it. But now there's like ten time zones all across Antarctica. But if you set up a base, countries will just set up a new base with a new research station and then decide, we don't care what the time zone is where we are, we're going to go by our home time zone. So there's all these erratic, non-approved time zones throughout Antarctica as well. (laughs) I feel like the moon's just going to end up like that. Like we're going to have like China and Russia and America all get their different times and be like, we're on Russian moon time and American moon time. It's just going to keep going down suck. and down. Like, and can, you, can you imagine if the Australians get there? Like half the team would be on daylight savings time. It would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, with Antarctica, how important is time? What are you doing? You're meeting like the Russians across the border for coffee? Like what? Are, no one's leaving the base in Antarctica. <laughs> well, I feel like the one uh, thing that the moon and, and like everyone has to worry about is not having the scientists and the um, like the astronauts go crazy. I feel like the one thing that will guarantee an astronaut going crazy is saying an Earth day is 29 moon days or whichever way it is. (laughs) That is crazy astronauts you're breeding up on the moon. (laughs) Thank you, man, with Dominic Claw on the chat saying moonlight day, it's savings time. Thank you for that. I appreciate (laughs) the clarification there. Irrational fear. I don't like the moon. It scares me. I don't like thinking about it. How can you not like the moon? I, I don't get it doesn't make sense. A rational fear. Stick with us. If you are a Patreon sponsor, you will hear an extra fear where we'll be discussing about all things about RoboDebt and Stuart Roberts' particular eating habits and how they're related. But if you're not a Patreon supporter, you'll hear a live read from our sponsor and then we'll be chatting with Nicolette Buller from the Smart Energy Council. Lewis just popping the podcast on hold here to talk about our incredible sponsor, Australian Ethical, who do, incidentally, superannuation, which is the flavour of the week on this podcast. Do you think the person with half a billion dollars is investing with Australian Ethical? Because that would put us in a pickle, because then we kind of want them to keep it. Actually, that's a really good point of view. Yeah, maybe maybe that person, if they are with Australian Ethical, they should definitely keep it, because Australian Ethical don't invest in things like fossil fuels, they don't invest in things like human trafficking or weapons or pretty, you know, bad stuff. They invest ethically. So that half a billion dollars, that would be that would be saving so much carbon if it was in somebody else's super fund. That is so good that it's with Australian Ethical. Every time you say this to me, I, I am sure, I'm like, which super funds are investing in human trafficking? And why haven't we stopped that? <laughs> well, It's <there> are... <laughs> 2023. You know what I mean? Like, shouts to Australian Ethical for putting it up and going, hey, by the way, we don't do human trafficking. But I must admit, I sort of assumed all super funds were pretty off human trafficking. <laughs> One super fund does support a particular podcast that is a rational fear, and that is Australian Ethical. Thank you so much for your support, Australian Ethical. Let's get back to the show. All right, by July 1 this year, the Labor government is going hammer and tongs trying to get in place a policy to help Australia meet its climate targets. It's something called the safeguard mechanism. It's something you could, sounds like something you could buy in a sex shop, doesn't it? I mean, it's designed to gently finger the greenhouse gas emitters without kind of rodgering them entirely. Joining us now to discuss the safeguard mechanism, it's longtime policy wonk and former candidate for Bradfield, Nicolette Buller. Welcome, Nicolette, to Irrational Fear. 
Thanks for having me. I have no idea how you're going to make this very serious topic remotely funny. Oh, that's 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 what we do. Uh, if yes. not, we fail at doing it, so it's totally fine. Yeah. We're very comfortable being not funny. Otherwise, this podcast <laughs> would never have kept going. <laughs> uh, Nicolette, tell us, like, the safeguard mechanism, like, how is it meant to work and will it work? Let's just stick with the name. We don't even know what it means. I mean, I don't know what it's safeguarding. If it's the climate, complete fail. If it's the fossil fuel industry, maybe remotely better. Um, at the Smart Energy Council, we call it the Big Polluters Program, which is basically a shortcut to explain what it is. This mechanism is it, it limits the emissions from the country's biggest industrial sites, big factories. So there's 215 of those. They're big. They chunk out 100,000 tonnes of greenhouse gas emissions each year. It's about 28% of the nation's total kind of carbon budget. What's really keen to understand is they're kind of in two categories. There's half of them are these industrial processes um, that we can probably see we can navigate towards a nice low-carbon future, things like fertilisers, steel, aluminium, cement. And then there's the other half, which are basically fossil fuel operations, that's that's coal and gas, where there really isn't any feasible technology that's going to take these guys to net zero. They just need to stop production. So what we've got is this mechanism that's going to work for half of them but not the other half. There's three things being discussed at the moment around the mechanism. I suppose there's lots of them, but it's baselines is the first thing. This is the contract about how much each of these factories can emit in the old system, those just weren't enforced at all. People are allowed to increase their limits. What's being offered now, uh, Minister Bowen suggesting that we'll have new baselines and there'll be a kind of musical chairs thing out to 2050, a, a reduction of 4.9% each year. So that, that looks like it's, you know, going towards something like a Climate Change Act, 43% emission reductions by 2030 and net zero by 2050. The second part is that big polluters don't actually have to reduce their emissions. Actually, they can buy offsets. We can talk about that in a minute. And the third thing is that really this sort of cap of or the price that the government will pay for these at $75, these credits that have been created just are not set as sort of price that is going to create some structural adjustments for some of these industries. We're seeing much bigger prices in international markets. We've seen in committee hearings lately um, a lot of questions about prices, particularly from David Pocock, who is kind of pressing the architects of the safeguard mechanism on the price, basically saying, well, if it goes above 75, who pays Who pays for that? And the people who may, who've may made this kind of program have gone, oh, we haven't actually thought about it. <laughs> we haven't actually thought about what happens when the price goes over it. Already there's a lot of fossil fuel companies who have who are pricing these carbon offsets at $80, $80 uh, and, and more. Oh, who more. is going to pay for that? Who, who yeah, is no. going to pay for that, Nicolette? And they've got to do it because, of course, we don't just work in Australia. We're operating international markets. So we have some companies at the moment who are doing what we call shadow pricing at $400 a tonne because we've seen some peaks and spikes in other markets at that kind of price. So, yeah, if they're going to stay internationally competitive in terms of greenhouse emission reduction profiles because we've got you know, some places like the EU have got import tariffs now. So if we want to put our goods and services and sell them to places in the EU, we get an extra tariff on that because ours is heavier and more, you know, more polluting than theirs. Wow, that's so huge, that that amount of money. That's wild. I was watching an episode of Clarkson's Farm last night and they were getting £180 a tonne for wheat. Like, 
we're talking about carbon. We're talking about pollution here. That is ton. That is heaps of money. Tons of money doesn't make sense, but it's just so much money. There's a lot of money at the moment to be made in um, coal and gas as well if you're exporting it overseas. If you like, were to pretend to be like a, a greenwashing expert, um, how much money is there to be made in selling offsets? Oh, shitloads. <laughs> like, how, what, what's the scam? Like, do we need so, to go buy a yeah, farm? How, how do and, we get involved, and, like, Nicolette, is really the question. Because <laughs> we've, podca- we've, we've got a podcast to find, Nicolette. Yeah. No, well, okay, so you, I don't know if you heard, but there was this thing called the Chubb Review, which had a little look at the, um, the offset scheme um, and how it's been going. We're just so, I'm so sorry, just because of the nature of this program, we have to pump the brakes on Chubb Review. Did that get giggles in the committee or when they were halfway done, what did they call it? The halfway ch- the half Chubb Review. It was the half Chubb Review. Sorry, Nicolette. I know you're very serious. I, I apologise. I'm sorry to everyone listening. We can continue with the Chubb Review. Yeah. <laughs> So the question is like how 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 much money can you make? So I don't know if you want to get the spreadsheet up, but um, in this review there were 165 projects. I um, mean, 24.5 million credits. Now, and this is mainly from what we call human induced regeneration, a, aka planting more trees, putting right. some seeds in the ground, and maybe not. I mean, some of the people gave evidence to the inquiry said maybe the rain made the plants grow. Um, so it wasn't necessarily additional. So if you want to, you know, this, this is where some of the greenwashing claims come in. Now, just to be clear, the findings of the inquiry suggested that there was no overstatement in the creation of those credits, but there are still some big question marks around whether the climate understands the, the difference between, you know, not stopping burning coal and gas versus you know, growing a few more plants on someone's property. Oh, man. It's, it sounds it's like so... the Chubb Review revealed a problem that was growing and growing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lewis. Can you tell us, like, I heard a rumour that Tony Abbott actually designed the safeguard mechanism. And surely if Labor's getting behind something that Tony Abbott designed to protect the environment, surely it'll do the opposite <laughs> of what Tony Abbott is said it would do. Well, yeah, well, I don't know. if I'm, I'm a bit old and I think I actually remember that Nick Xenophon um, and his team proposed some of the changes, which then the coalition at the time adopted because they had this thing called the, oh, goodness, can I remember it? So, some sort of, oh, credit scheme, no, mm-mm. Direct action. That's what it was. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. We all we all remember the the, the green army, Nicolai. We all remember the green army. Do- it was people on the dole going out to plant trees. That'll save us. <laughs> but it was the biggest ideological contortion that I have experienced, where we got rid of what was basically market based mechanisms of um, doing some emissions trading, and we took that away, and we used taxpayers' money and granted that to big polluters to do nothing much at all. It was extraordinary. And so that's when um, Xenophon uh, suggested perhaps we do some of these things and, and, you know, to their credit, I suppose, the coalition said, oh, yeah, okay, let's do some baselines and get people to report those emissions and then let's see whether we can get them to actually reduce their emissions. But, of course, if you don't enforce something, it probably doesn't get done. Mm, I love hearing in the commission David Pocock talk about accus. 
They're the they're the units of carbon offsets. Is that right? Yeah. They kind of they kind of sound like the new Bitcoin. Like it, the way he was talking about it made me want to get in early on Accus. I needed to buy <laughs> buy some Accus now, so in ten years' time, when I'm underwater, I'll be able to buy myself a nice house on the hill. Yeah. Now that the NFT market is crashing, is there room for maybe the carbon credit? like to take its place <laughs> if we can make the carbon credit schemes really really trendy with like 16 year olds yeah. yeah. If we could have, like, love it. Yeah. A series of carbon credits, but some of them are wearing fedoras and some of them have really cool sunglasses on. Some of them have like a little sailor outfit. <laughs> Maybe that could work. Dead ape, we could call it. It's just like all <laughs> Drowning ape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nicolette Buller, thank you so much for joining us on Irrational Fear to give us a little bit of clarity and leave us feeling more despondent than ever about the safeguard mechanism. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> that is it for Irrational Fear. Big thank you to all of our guests, Nicolette Buller, Jane Bell, Lise Phillips, Lewis Hobber. What would you folks like to plug? Jane, let's start with you. Uh, I've got a Melbourne Comedy Festival show starting the 29th of March at Bards Apocathry called Slops. It is about having multiple quarter-life crises all through your 20s and 30s. Uh, you can find it on the Comedy Fest website or on my Instagram, Jane Bell MP. Excellent. Elise? Yeah, I'm also bringing a show to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Um, I'm starting on March 27th at the Butterfly Club and it's called Elise Phillips pretends to be on tropical holiday for 50 minutes. Definitely not a scam. It does what it says on the tin. <laughs> I love it. A great long name. I'm a big fan of long name. Nicolette Buller, what would you like to plug? Do you have a show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival? <laughs> no, I don't. Look out for possible by-elections in the federal seat of Bradfield after the New South Wales election. I'll be running there as a community independent. Am I allowed to do that? I just have. Thanks very yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. We should point out that, that Nicolette almost, almost got uh, a seat uh, last last time round. So this could be the, the redux. Ooh. How exciting. You know, around the same time I was doing the billboard stuff, Paul, Paul Fletcher said on Q&A, um, said... What you can't do is you can't go around putting up billboards saying that Paul Fletcher is an idiot. Um, and I thought, well, that that is a great quote. That is a great quote to put on a billboard in Bradfield. Paul Fletcher is an idiot by Paul Fletcher, Q&A, on this date. Uh, so there's an idea for you. An idea for you. Oh, yes, uh, John from Radio Notes wants us to remind everyone that our Adelaide show is 5pm this Saturday afternoon in the Garden of Unearthly Delights. So if you're in Adelaide and you listen to this before uh, before then, please come along, get a ticket. We've got the Attorney General, Kai Ma, from South Australia on the podcast. We're going to be talking to him all about The Voice. Lewis, what would you like to plug? Um, yes, the Adelaide show, Dan. We're also going to be in Melbourne on the second of April. So uh, buy tickets to that. It's going to be fun. It's a technically a hometown show for me, um, so I'm expecting rapturous applause. Perhaps um, some sort of uh, motorcade. Uh, I would accept uh, fireworks. I, I would like Dan Andrews to be there to personally shake my hand and welcome me back to the city of Melbourne. These are just some ideas if you're listening from Melbourne and you're wondering how you can welcome me back home. <laughs> yes, it's going to be a great show. That is it for Irrational Fear. Big thank you to Road Mics, our sponsor, Australian Ethical, all of our wonderful, incredible Patreon supporters. We had a whole stack of people sign up this week. Uh, I'll shout out your names at the live show because um, it was so awesome, uh, all the, the amount of people that signed up. Jacob Brown on the Teppanyaki timeline. Until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.